Welcome to Let's Talk About Shreks, an episodic review of today's visions of the future featuring Earl Grey and Jack Dorino. Today Jack and Earl are covering Star Trek Discovery Season 3 Episode 8. It's called The Sanctuary. We hope you enjoy the show. And welcome back once again to Let's Talk About Treks. My name is Jack Dorino. I am sitting here with my friend... Yeah, that's when you say your name. Earl Grey. Sorry. Coming to you live once again (laughs) here from, I guess, what is the 31st century? 32nd century. Oh, 32nd. Yeah, we did just have that conversation that we're in the 32nd century, not the 31st century. I I just had to go back and watch episode one again of this season and listen to the date that she says because they might have made a big clerical error by like a hundred years or they could have had her arrive at the turn of the century whatever century she's in she is in the 88th year of that century so it is the end of the century technically because I mean she's in the last half of it are we in the 2390s or are we now in the 2400s i think it's the 2390s but she's in the 3180s she's in 3188 so when this show ends we could conceivably be in exactly a thousand years from (laughs) she went 930 years from her time right how many years from next generation time does it occur the next generation starts at only 70 years into the future of the last of, of Star Trek 6. It starts in 2366, is that right? Ish, yeah. I mean, I've never seen anything on screen that definitely says that, but fans seem to say, yeah, 2366 is when Star Trek The Next Generation starts. Uh, I'm going to go to the internets because <laughs> I'm very curious. Well, all you have to do is take 3188 minus... 2366 and you get 822 years got it from the beginning of the next generation assuming that picard is taking place in 2388 then you're only 800 years from you know picard season one we can extrapolate from the star date we can yes we can so captain's lock star date 41153.7 means that he is on the 153rd day of the year and he's about he's seven out of ten tenths of the way through the day okay but that still doesn't give us a year though the first digit four relates to the 24th century the second digit represents the television season so the (laughs) rest of the digits the rest of the digits usually the day of the year and then mm-hmm. the one after the point is the hour of the day yeah the time of day yeah the start dates that you always taught me to use was uh all start dates start with four yes then uh our year would be you know for example today would be four two one and then our month zero four and point uh zero six for the day i don't think that was me oh because I did, I have always done the start dates by uh, the day of the year. That in no way is an official way that start dates work. You know, that's just for role play. And there is no official way that start dates work in the original series. So at all. But I will note that I've noticed. I don't know when, where, or how, but I did notice that, that Star Trek Discovery uh, went ahead and advanced their start dates to match the current year. 
well, it matches the next generation method of numbering star dates. Yeah. Okay. Although it advances it like a thousand years in the future. So, however that worked out, I don't remember, but I remember hearing the date and then writing it down and then calculating and the yeah, it would be, it, it was right based on like if next generation were doing an episode in that time, that would be the date that they would use. Okay. I have nothing to stand on. Just, <laughs> I have nothing to stand on to tell me that that is accurate. And I have no facts to back it up because, uh -huh. shh, don't tell anybody. This is science fiction. It's science fantasy. No, it's, oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> Why does it have to be fantasy? It's not fantasy. There's not. I mean, I guess if you're going to call the Gormagander a dragon, then sure. No, that's not, not what I mean by science fantasy. I mean that there's more really fantasy really? about their Just science than there is about seriously. Are you talking to me? No, Gallifrey. Just came and knocked on the door and decided and came in and like, what are you doing in here? <laughs> You're in your studio. The light is on. I, I know. What else would I be doing in here? <laughs> Jacking off. Uh, I mean, I guess. Jack is getting off. He's like, "Why are you checking off without me? I wanna, I wanna play the, play the what you call it game." The skin float. Or what's the game where you both you sit in a circle and you all jack off together? And oh, that would be a bukkake session. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, bingo card, bukkake. <laughs> I thought a bingo card only had to do with shows. You know, usually yeah, that is a show. And That's clearly it's definitely a show of pop culture. <laughs> there are no producers. Well, no, there are producers, and there are co-executive producers, and there are actors. <laughs> the producers produce sperm. And there are craft services. <laughs> craft services? Yeah. <laughs> How do you figure? I don't know. Like, if you get if you get hungry, you know, you gotta you gotta drink water, you know, <laughs> and and if you want to if you want to really like, go for the gusto, you gotta get your sperm and X. Sperminax, sperm, I forget what it's called. Semenax. Oh. Wait, there's what? A, this yeah, the there's thing? a yeah, there's a product called Semenax. S E M E N A X. Um, and Hold it. Hold on, type this. Say, spell this, Lord. S E. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's totally, it's totally So you can go to semenax.com, <laughs> and this product is purported to increase your. Uh, Increase your supply of available fluids <laughs> so that you can do a really big painting. You know, like sometimes you can only do like a postcard. But this 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 guarantees you that you'll be able to do like a five by twelve. Although what's a five by twelve? Eight by twelve is what I mean. Eight by ten, whatever it is. <laughs> Eight and a half by eleven. You can turn in your entire homework. You, you sheet. mean an A1 size sheet of paper for paper. Yeah, yeah, A1. A1 it is. Okay, let me just do S. I hate her looking up. Okay, so uh, I think uh, I am not. So I I don't know whether it's a it's a father son relationship or a or a partner partner relationship. What? But Stamets is I know weird. I know strange turn <laughs> up the screw as it were, right? But the the relationship between Stamets and Colbert is like a father son relationship. Like Colbert's like the like the dad to Stamets and Stamets always has like he often has I should say a very confused look on his face like he I don't know if it's like <laughs> from yeah. I don't know whether it's like from the uh, 
the actor being um you know albino and not being able to like really do well in all the light what what actor's albino uh you can't Stamets, tell the actor that plays statement no uh yeah man or, or is that yeah, just so, a so, way of calling no, 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 white Anthony, white? no 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 anthony no no anthony rap is an albino oh okay yeah for i I'm, i could be mistaken but i from 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 what i remember of the past like before i even knew discovery before discovery even existed I'd always thought of him as, as an albino. I could be wrong because I'm now that I'm looking back at some pictures of him, he clearly has like red hair in the past. But if you look at his eyes, like his eyes are very, 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 very light. And his hair is very, 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 very light. Not really red at all. I maybe I made that up. Maybe I made his albinism albinism up entirely. So what 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 brought up Stanmans? I, I, you know, I've just one of those things I've been thinking about, like for the past day. Okay. You know, sure. like it wasn't anything in this particular episode. It may have mm. been. I may have recently been reviewing an episode where he, <laughs> where he has um, to make like 133 jumps, <laughs> and uh, you know, there's a lot going on between the two of them, and it, it was that that scene, and also the scene when. Uh, how far along we are in this season, I forget. Uh, the scene when they, you know, are talking to, talking about Adira. We can get to that point. Do you want to jump to it now? It's at the end of the very end of the episode. Oh, is it in this episode? Yeah, it's in this episode. Okay, well let's let's uh, let's let's just get to it uh, when yeah. we get to it. Yeah. So they open up with um, the emperor talking about her condition in a very violent and aggressive way. Why do you say it's violent and aggressive? That's just her character. That's she's from the mirror universe. Okay. She's very annoyed at the fact that she has to be here in sickbay and just to show. And then I like how she picks up this big bludgeon object of the glass orb thing, and she sets it on the table in front of him, almost as if to say, "I could have totally brained you just now, and I'm showing you mercy." So you better respect that. <laughs> I didn't really catch that before. I'm I'm sure that's what it was. <laughs> I wonder why she was laying flat on a bio bed while the doctor was sitting across the room at his desk, though. I'm also wondering why there's a desk in the middle of sickbay. Crusher's was off t in her own like office. Particle matter, or what? What's it called? Particulate matter. The magic matter thing. Everything is microbeads. He, he just needed it there, so he the computer put it there. Oh. He's he's psychoanalyzing her. He's being the counselor right now in that. Fair enough. Did you see like the amoeba in the background there? The giant amoeba? Is that like a reference back to the giant amoeba of the original series and whatever episode that was? That is super interesting. I hadn't considered that. <laughs> What's the clip on her ear? Is that just decorative or is it serve a point? Yeah, I'm sure it's just decorative. And he's like, your heart is elevated. And she's like, that's rage. <laughs> Probably true. She's not used to feeling vulnerable. She is the emperor. She sure. is, people just tell her, she's used to people telling her what she wants to hear. And like she said at the beginning, this is what made it aggressive. Emperors, when they're buried, they have their doctors buried along, killed and buried alongside of them. Often, yes, that is very true. Because they hold all of their weaknesses and secrets. So that's what makes it aggressive and violent. Michael's just left the sick bay and she's run into Book in the hallway. Is it Book or Booker? Well, his name is Cleveland Booker, and we call him Book for short. Okay. She's like, oh, wait, where are you off to? And he says, oh, I've got to go, go save my family. 
she says, okay, you know, slow down. And she, she it's almost as if she's learned her lesson now. She says, we got to do this through the chain of command by the book. And they bring it to the Admiral. And he tells the story to the Admiral. And that's kind of refreshing for me that it, maybe she's learned her lesson now. You know, or at least she's she's playing the game anyways. So maybe hopefully she can get back into the XO position. Sure. I think the lesson that she's learned is go to the Admiral and the Admiral will likely tell Saru to do what she wants. Yeah. Yep. Because last time the Admiral was like, uh, you should have done what she wanted. <laughs> the other thing is, is I'm not sure how much I trust this stuff that he's saying. It almost sounds... Which, which who he, who he, what he... Book. Oh, I trust him implicitly. I gotta go save my brother. I just got a message from my brother. And at this point, being the first time I've seen it uh, of the episode, I'm still like, is he trying to pull a fast one? Does he really have a brother? Or is he leading them into something to get what he needs and just making up the story? So I've always taken Book as a character as someone who's been vetted by Michael already. Like, she's had a year to spend with him, and if there was any negativity that was going to come out, she would have found it by now. Okay, well, yeah, I get that. Oh, I never noticed how long uh, Osira's fingernails are. Yeah, are those her fingernails? Those are crazy long Lee Presson nails. Yeah. Why doesn't the nephew recognize Rin's name? And then he has to look it up on his pad. I know, he probably has a lot of people that he deals with. Well, but they already showed in the last episode, the guy's a moron. This is I mean, true. he's lucky to be alive anymore anyway. Because he hasn't, she hasn't lost her tolerance with him. Are we talking about Rin or are we talking about the uh, nephew? The nephew. Okay. I mean, even even the emperor could tell that he's just a bully, but he's also a moron. Usually those two things go hand in hand. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. What was up with the Osiris reveal? So dramatic as if, am I supposed to know who this is? I know, is? like we were going to be like really surprised, like this is somebody that we already knew or something. Yeah, yeah. Transforms are gruesome. And I wonder yeah. how, how do they, how, like, do they, are they, does Book actually talk to them with his little headlight or something? They talked about the empathy later on with, with the little flying squids. But when she mentioned having complicated feelings about the death of his, his father, the nephew's father, and I, I totally, it's like, she killed him. It was her that caused the nephew to be an orphan. <laughs> but, uh, the other thing I want to know about them is why do random body parts just fall off of their victims? It's not like they're shaking them all that hard that they would just break off. I think they are shaking them that hard. You know, I think that's the idea. And, and they're not, and they break at the point where they're not biting, being bitten off. So why, I, I don't, I don't think they're shaking them that hard. I think that maybe we just don't know what the anatomy of a transform is. Well, yeah. There's an interesting feature that I've never used before that my phone has suddenly decided to start using today. <laughs> I don't know what it's called, but I just, I didn't find it. It just like came on. It's an audio description of what's happening on screen. That's a feature for blind people or vision impaired people. Oh, a Jonathan Frakes episode. Okay. Yeah, I, I gotta love the Frakesy that. episode. Are we gonna spin into it? We don't <laughs> spin into it. That's that's interesting. Did you notice the design and the shape and the style of uh, Osiris's ship? Uh, you know, I didn't. Uh, that's because all of the ships in the 30s, so whichever century, look a mess. Well, I thought it looked a lot like 
book's ship was a shuttle that belonged as a part of that ship. No, that's interesting. Because he is a courier who works for them peoples. So, like, maybe he stole his ship from her shuttle bay. So, you, sw- you swipe right to close your tricorder, apparently. I just realized. Well, it, it, it reacts to you and adapts to you. So, for her, she swipes. No, they gave us commands. Palm up, fist to the chest below the tricorder, and then fingers out, and that becomes your tricorder. There's also a swipe up one, and that becomes yeah. uh, comms, I think. And then there's the double tap to take you back where you were on the transporter. But, um, I mean, just like Cyborg Pilot Lady says, the... Are you talking about Arium again? No. Oh. I'm who's talking Cyborg, about Cyborg Pilot, Pilot Lady? Pilot. Oh my god, you're talking about Detmer, who's not even a cyborg. <laughs> she is. No, she just has an, she just has an implant, because she can't fracking see. Yeah. If you're gonna call her yeah. in a cyborg, you have to call Jordy LaForge a cyborg. He is a cyborg. Oh my god in heaven. <laughs> he has cybernetic implants. He's not a Borg Borg, but by science fiction definition of a cyborg, he's a cyborg. Okay. They both are. He's not at he's not at the level of Robocop. Uh, but he's definitely they're both definitely have cybernetic implants. They're cyborgs. I suppose. So does Detmer have like half a vi- half of a visor? Yeah, basically. Because it's only the one eye that doesn't work? Yeah, yeah. Okay. There's a couple of things I realized during the credits. I kind of discussed this, but I was just wondering if when Book and, and Michael bump in the hallway, if he was telling the whole story about his brother. I was also realizing at that time that uh, Book is like, yeah, we got to go right now and rescue him. And she's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on a minute. Yeah. <laughs> she puts on the reins and she takes him to the... The Veruban Nebula. Yeah, I feel like the music we could have done a little more with the music because there is a a music thing that keeps coming back. I don't know if you noticed it so far. Uh huh. Adira has played it on the cello, mm-hmm. and I think that it's a part of the mystery that's coming up and uh-huh. uh, sort of like leads us to the Verba Nebula. I think we could have highlighted that a little bit more. Yeah. Remember, I said I liked the the uh, the corridor scene with. Uh... Tilly and, and Saru. Sure. When you first saw this episode, did, what was your reaction when they started discovering or talking about the secret ongoing matter? And they started talking about engage kind of words, his catch his catch word for engage. I was on board for this episode for that. Like, I just wanted to see what his catchphrases were going to be as he tried out. Different <laughs> ones. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I when I first figured out what they were talking about, I totally just laughed out loud you know he's actually trying in universe to figure out his own engage yeah which is great this the whole part where saru is like uh turn it up and they 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 turn it up and they zero in in his eye and his pupils dilate and he it's it was like totally a every scene every high scene in every movie ever made like in requiem for a dream when they first get that hit and they first get the high, he's like getting high off the sound. Yeah, what's weird is I think he can see electromagnetic uh, electromagnetic waves. Okay. So I think he can actually see. He's like, let me get a hit off that. Execute. Not only that, but he's he's this show's Uhura. Why? That special ability to hear things that other people just can't or hear in lower or different frequencies. What's her face on Enterprise did that too? Oh, Shisato. 
Yeah, Hoshi. Hoshi. I mean, but then that also made me realize that Saru being this special listener, they don't have a comms officer on this ship. Yes, they do. In an era when Stop they, it. It's they, Robert Alton Bryce. He's sitting in the back. The only thing he does is deal with the comms. That's his That's his job. He's the communications officer. But he doesn't have the little microphone in his He ear. doesn't need it. It's And if he does, it's tiny. He would have needed it in the 23rd century, though. Well, damn it, he doesn't need it now. <laughs> or maybe with the advancements on the ship, then maybe it was more advanced than that. Yeah. But... And, and yeah, it is, it is a super, it's supposed to be a super advanced ship, so maybe he just didn't need it there. Also, he could have had, like, a privacy screen in his area. The bridge of the Enterprise is, like, super low-tech for some reason. <laughs> the Enterprise from the original series. Well, I mean, yeah. I like this hospital scene, or sickbay scene, where she's like, I need you to count backwards from 10 for me, and it, like, instantly works. Yeah, that's usually how that usually how that works. What was your feeling about when Stamets and uh, uh, Adira were talking in engineering, and she, they... Well, everybody's in engineering, and they all finally leave, and they're alone, finally. And she's like, they, them. Yeah, uh, I was really glad that we finally brought that into Star Trek. They brought gender non-binary into Star Trek. It's pretty great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I liked how Stamets just takes a moment to realize what she's saying and doesn't talk back. She just says, he, he, he just says, okay. And, you know, I literally clapped when I heard that the first time. And I cried a little bit. Yeah, it's pretty great. You know, he's, he's just like, sure, okay. Yeah, that's okay. fine. That's what, that's what As we if are. it's no big deal. I, I kind of feel like all Trill should have always been calling themselves they. <laughs> yeah, right. Especially those who have transferred from one, one gender to another. Mm -hmm. um, it just seems to make sense because clearly if you've been living a life of 60 years as a female and then you are you know two days later you're a male i doubt that you have completely switched over to whatever your impression of the other gender is already yeah and we don't really know the gender of the actual trill symbionts do they have gender are they hermaphrodites are they they're all male they are yeah i'm using beta canon again <laughs> there is a lovely book called the lies of dax edited by uh, marco palmieri that is probably my favorite Star Trek book of all time. Oh, yeah, I have that. Yeah. It catalogs, you know, moments from the, I guess, eight lifetimes that the symbiont Dax lived. Mm hmm And I have now forgotten my purpose in bringing it up. Uh, all Trill are male. Oh, yeah. So in that book, there's a part where it talks about how the Trill symbionts are born. Mm hmm And what it describes visually is alarmingly similar to what we saw in Forget-Me-Not, when Adira was under the water with a lot of the tendrils and stuff flying around. Well, maybe that's where they pulled it from. There would be these mothers and they're large, big, but like not trill symbiont sized, but like big uh -huh. balls of like fleshiness, right? And okay. <laughs> in this way, you can think of the trills, the trill symbionts as the sperm and the females as the egg because this the symbionts <laughs> okay. uh, will fertilize the the mother and then the mother spouts out all these symbionts now that hasn't been canonized because if they made that canon then it would it would belie the unviability of pretty much any trill host to have a symbiont because the reason they limit it is because they are limited supplies but they would be limited supplies if they can just keep pumping out symbionts well yeah 
but if symbionts are all male and they have to clone somehow, then that would make them rare enough to be, you know, the, the, the scarcity that they pretend that there is. That would definitely lead towards that scarcity that they talk about. Uh, how? It seems to me that would, that would be the opposite of a scarcity. Maybe the ability for them to self-clone or self-procreate is a rare and valuable act or task. Well, I think it makes sense for the trail symbionts to be male, because if a trail symbiont were female, would it then could it give birth inside of you? And then what would happen to those symbionts? Would they then all attach while it's inside there? <laughs> and then you'd be like a kind of schizoid? Yeah. I think there would be careful monitoring of whether a female trill is pregnant or not. And first of all, if she's in you already, how does she get pregnant? Well, she was pregnant before she went in there. Okay. So then they would obviously know and be able to detect already the pregnancy. So they just wouldn't use pregnant trill until they had weaned their their young. You know, then they could use them again. It's like taking a, a maternity leave. Sure. Or I guess a forced maternity leave. Yeah, that's that would make a maternity leave from life <laughs> is what you're <laughs> suggesting. Well... Every so often, the symbionts take a break anyway. That's why there's any symbionts in those pools at all whenever Dax or Adira Atal did the things that they do when they go back to Trill and swim in those pools. I don't remember the name of that. I, I don't either, but what I'm looking forward to is Adira's Yantara because I want to see all the people around her pretending to be her previous hosts. I think that'll be pretty dope. <laughs> there you go. I think that was like around season um, four or so, so... Hopefully yeah. we'll hit there before the end of the series. Yeah. Uh, what's your prediction, by the way, since we're there, uh, what's your prediction on how many seasons Discovery will cover overall? Do you think we'll break the seven barrier? I, uh, at this point, it's hard to say. I have to decide which show I like the most of all the, the flood of shows that we're getting right now. It is a flood, isn't it? And especially with what we're about to get or what we, by the time this is released, maybe already have. <laughs> I've come to the understanding that we are potentially about to have 52 weeks of Star Trek. How long is that? Isn't that a year? That is a year. Yep. And I'm, I'm trying to pull up my, my list of how this is going to happen, but we know so far that Discovery Season 4 and Lower Decks are going to release this year. Yeah. So that covers potentially 20 weeks, right? Well, unless they're releasing at the same time. And I mean... Yeah, technically 20 weeks individually, but they could be running, you know. Yeah, but they release, they release Star Trek on Thursday, right? So I don't see them changing the day or doing multiple episode releases in a, in a week. Okay. Just so they can stretch things out. Because if they can say 52 weeks of Star Trek, I would rather say 52 weeks of Star Trek than, than layer different series on top of each other. Mm, okay. And I'd prefer they let me focus on one series at a time mm -hmm. because I'd get utterly confused uh, having to go back and forth between, you know, like Lower Decks to Picard or Picard to Lower Decks to Discovery. Well, that's why I like to just wait until the whole season's out so I can just binge the whole thing. Sure. And I don't have to wait a whole week to get the next one. Oh, I like the wait. You like the wait? I do like the wait. You like to sit there nail biting, and I, yeah. as I make the gesture, and nobody can see it. Yeah, man, it gives me it gives me something to look forward to. 
I can still look forward to it. It's just a longer, a longer time of looking for it. The anticipation. Right, but this gives me something like consecutively look forward to. This gives this gives me a reason not to. Um, yeah, and let's. I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to say that part. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So getting back to the show, it yeah, there's a scene uh, that happens where Giorgio is having a fever dream, sure, and she wakens with a start, uh-huh. and it is my firm belief that she is reliving the death of her son. Okay. Uh, I don't know who she had a son with, but my original thought when uh, when we saw this scene was that she was reliving the death of Michael Burnham from her universe, and that clicked into place why she would know immediately when Michael Burnham showed up in her universe that it wasn't actually her Michael Burnham, but a different Michael Burnham. But she just said her son, not her daughter. Yes, that's exactly what I said. So she had a son at one point. I, I forget what gives me that impression. All right. But I do believe she had a son and that he was killed. And that's what we saw in that in that scene. Mm-hmm. We did see skin of the person who was laying there bleeding and the skin was not the color of Michael Burnham's skin. It was more the color of her skin, of uh, Emperor Giorgio's skin. Well, then the, I mean, the other question that it begs to ask is if, if Michael is her daughter, is she her biological daughter? Because then that would mean... Are you, are you kidding? Well, she's not, a, she's not a direct mirror then. She wouldn't, the, the Michael Burnham in the mirror universe would not be... But, well, no, I mean, are you kidding in suggesting that she could be her biological daughter? She's clearly not her biological daughter. Okay. <sighs> All right. Then that that confirms my suspicion. But she uh, she thinks of her like a daughter, especially okay. if she came, especially if she appeared in her life, um, you know, shortly after her actual son, you know, died. Oh, okay. I've only seen two empresses or emperors in the whole of the mirror universe. And then of course we know in phase nine that the empire has fallen, but uh, we don't know that male heirs are somehow devalued. Like in our universe, female heirs are devalued. Oh, we're working on that. I won't call out any specific culture, but yeah, there are some that still uh, prioritize males over females. Yeah, there sure are. And it would make sense a mirror universe would prioritize the opposite. Sure, that makes sense, yeah. Yeah, I get that. But, I i mean, have you ever thought, like, the smile that Stamets gives as Adira and them are bonding in, in engineering, I mean, I just thought that smile, his, his smile is just so cute. Oh, uh, really? Well. Never have I ever. Never have I ever? Okay. But, you know, to each her own. I do like the jacket that Giorgio has. It kind of reminds me of a Deep Space Nine uniform, just in its line, you know, the shoulders versus the torso. Which which jacket? And the jacket she's wearing during much of this episode. It's black. It's like a different black on top than it is below. Okay. Now, what did confuse me is when they're walking amongst the trees outside before they meet her brother, his brother, the, the other people, they just pop out from behind trees, and some of those are trees that they've already passed uh, from the angle that after they've already passed them, so looking back on the trees. Why didn't they see these people before? Did they just bring in behind the trees? Have you ever watched Rainbow Bright? Uh, it's been 
decades, but so you remember they used to have that little creature that would like hide hide somewhere during the episode, and then like at the end of the episode, she'd come out and she'd be like, "Did you find me today?" Vaguely, yeah. <laughs> That's what they are. <laughs> the little, if you if they had never popped out, then at the end of this episode, they were gonna come out and they're gonna be like, "Hey, did you guys find us today?" <laughs> Here's the tree I was hiding behind. <laughs> it's a special feature they're doing this season on Discovery. Find the random person hidden behind something. <laughs> so you saw them already, or no? I, I didn't see them. Oh, okay. You're just making a joke. Yeah, they were clearly hiding out. It, so that was that was Harry and the Hendersons family. <laughs> they were the actually inceptors of doing the uh, the tree hide. Harry, Harry and the Hendersons family. All of the little the little big foots, little big feet. Are they okay. big feet or big foots? <laughs> it doesn't matter. Is this the Harry and the Hendersons podcast? No, I hope not. Oh, my bad. Uh, wrong one. <laughs> my fault. Oh, uh, bingo card, Harry and the Hendersons, by the way. <laughs> and Rainbow Bright, apparently. Uh, Rainbow Bright, I forgot about I mean, that. Th those were not only, I mean, since we're sitting on Viridian 3, those were centuries ago and light years away. Yeah, I wonder how many 1980s references we pile into one show. <laughs> because I'm realizing that like all of my references are 1980s stuff. And you would think that I grew up in the 1980s or something from this. Based on your references in this episode, we we grew up in the 2180s. No, no, no. I grew up in the 2360s. 2360s? Oh, yes. okay. Aboard the Enterprise D. Oh, okay. My quarters were on deck eight. <laughs> On the port side. <laughs> okay. I didn't have any windows, though. I did see a video once that talked about how there could only be a thousand people on the ship of such a large ship. And they pointed out when they point, figured out how much living space could be on the Enterprise D that, yeah, it, it does make sense when you're watching an episode and the hallways are Spartan, except for the two people that they're watching yeah. in, in the hallway. But it's a really big honking ship. So only encountering one or two people as you're walking down the corridor makes sense. Sure, sure. So I was on a ship of uh, 300 people. and No, I'm sorry. I was on a ship that was 350 uh, meters long. Mm -hmm. And we had about 80 people aboard. Okay. And there would be times when, like, you could be in a section of the ship and there was, like, no one else around you. Okay. Even though there were 80 people s within, like, a certain range of you. Sure. It's very easy to find an empty space, you know, like, my emergency station was after steering. And after steering was a pretty big space. Like, it's a space where, like, I can drive the ship. Uh, although I'm blind, I can't see where I'm going. I could drive the ship from the back of the ship. Like, I could control the propeller manually. Oh, okay. So you're sitting there cranking on the propeller as hard as you can. Yeah. You're 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 a hamster. You're you're a human hamster wheel. Yeah, I only had to do it twice, <laughs> and it is really it's not only is it really difficult, but it's very dangerous because mm. if that thing if you're pulling one way and that thing yanks back, it's gonna yank you back and it's gonna like yank your 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 arm out of the socket. So the one time it did that to me, I was very luckily standing up, and just kind of like went with it. Because uh -huh. had I not, I really think it would have ripped my arm out of the socket. Like it took me across the, it took me across the compartment. Hmm. And they were like, uh, Fireman Moody, what are you doing? <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, just steering the ship on me. Just following just... the instructions given to me. <laughs> I, I'm a little annoyed, I think, at the, at the warp effect that we have once upon a time. There was a rule huh. about not using warp drive inside a solar system. Wasn't there? 
there was. Well, yeah. that's what I heard. Yeah, there but, was a whole thing um, about it, and I don't know how or when we solved it, but I would rather see ships, like, arrive at each other than just appear next to each other. Uh-huh. Well, but these are these are rogues. They're, they're Orion Syndicate members. They can do whatever they want. They don't care yeah, about... I mean, I got you, but... Okay, so, yeah. So, <sighs> there's a whole thing that I want to talk about right now. Sometime during this well, season, we've mentioned so far at one point, and it was very brief mention, but it caught my ear and it's been sticking in my ear, and that is that the Gorn destroyed five years of five light years of subspace. Do you remember hearing that? No, but it doesn't. I, I, I that just means I don't remember it. That doesn't mean I yeah, didn't hear it. I think it was within like the first two episodes. Within the first two episodes, either okay. either either got mentioned to Burnham or got mentioned to Saru or somebody where uh-huh. where the Gorn Gorn have destroyed five light years of subspace. Mm-hmm. And I've recently come to realize that that is a planted idea that we are going to pull threads on, not until the next season. So again, not- we're doing that thing where like folding in ideas to use mm-hmm. them way later. Okay. So you mentioned that they changed the name of Osira at some point, and that, yeah, that's what diminutized the reveal once you finally see her. Yeah, diminished and is we- the word you were looking for. Sure. Thanks. Uh, so they they called her Zara before, okay. Which I think clashed with the words with the name Zora, which is the computer. Mm-hmm. It was in episode two, oh. and it was the the guys in the bar, uh, not the guys in the bar, but the the one who showed up after them, right? The 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 guy who was an agent of Os- of Osira. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He mentioned uh, he mentioned someone named Zara as like you know this big figure, and then later she becomes Osira. So I do think they changed her name, like, during production. I mean, people die all the time, so there's no reason that Zara didn't die or get killed by Osira in the meantime. Or, you know, or Osira got promoted or whatever, and they're related. Maybe Zara was the father that was mentioned to the nephew before she sent him to the uh, transform. Maybe she did kill Zara his father in order to gain the position she has now could be you'd think they'd explain that though why it's not within the uh uh because it's confusing discovery. yeah maybe at some point i mean they for might, the viewer well, you know yeah maybe, yeah okay um so that she's apparently communicating to the planet but the discovery can't how do you think she's doing this uh, she has control over the planet Osiris has that planet on lockdown. Well, if she has it on lockdown, then why doesn't she just lower the shields so that she can bombard the surface? She's bouncing her torpedoes off their shields to weaken them. That, those are their shields. That's their scattering field. Oh, I don't know. That's a good point. Maybe it's a backdoor comm system. I mean, I think they kind of vaguely described it. She was just, uh, broadcasting and letting her signal to these. That's why her hologram a little flickery. Her shots didn't bounce off of the uh, bounce off the surface, though. They hit the surface, didn't they? No, they bounce off the shields. They don't hit the surface at all. Oh, okay. That's why those shields light up when they explode above the trees. And you know, I didn't I didn't realize that before that they were actually not hitting. I thought they were hitting the ground for some reason. Hmm. And did you notice how? I, well, one, I think is this the first time we've ever seen photon torpedoes exploding outside of space? And they look like little mini mushroom clouds. I don't think I've ever noticed that, but yeah, I guess it's I guess it's the first time that we've seen them not 
you know, land on a ship. I, I wonder if they're trying to depict them as sort of more powerful than nuclear weapons. We actually did see torpedoes land on the surface of uh, the planet where Firewolf was. Firewolf. Okay, I don't remember that. M Mirror Volk. Mirror Volk? Yeah. Okay. The Emperor's ship came up behind the Shenzhou and bombarded the surface mm -hmm. of that planet whose name okay. I wish I remembered right now. Okay. Why does Giorgio know a passcode to get into the medical records. Well, not only that, but when did she steal that device and why does she have to steal it to get her own me medical records? The reason that she can't get her own medical records is because David Cronenberg said if you tell her what's going to happen to her, then she's going to try to die in an honorable way, which is weird because she's not a Klingon. David Cronenberg? The guy who I believe is the president of the Federation. Mm, okay. The one who has the uh, who had the uh, holograms that she turned off with her eyeball blinks. Oh yeah, okay. Um, the eyeglasses wearing man, Starfleet's equivalent of the cigarette smoking man. Yeah, yeah, or uh, yeah, and again, I don't think he's a part of the Starfleet. I think he's part of the Federation. Okay, uh, so here's the thing that I understand now about the Federation and Admiral okay. Frackenzy, darling. What's what the what the hell's his name, Admiral? Admiral, Admiral Riker, with Admiral, the, yeah, Admiral Riker, Admiral, the most interesting man in the Federation, um, <laughs> Admiral Old Spice. He's 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 definitely Starfleet. So he's an Admiral. I, yes, but he's also Federation. I've come to realize upon several viewings that what is inside that bubble is what remains of the entire Federation and Starfleet. Like that's their home. That's their entire home base. Really? Yeah. Well, there's not 83 members there. Well, there's 38, 38 planets, but 38. There's no saying that like there's travel between them. They just are in communication with them, and they've agreed to like continue to, oh, to okay. abide by the rules and uh, tenets of the Federation. They're definitely not in communication with the uh, Indian man from uh, the other starbase. Then, oh, uh, they must be. Because didn't he tell? Didn't he? Well, no, maybe, that's right. They, he, they didn't he? Yeah, he told us where to find them. No, he didn't. How do we know where to find them? How do we find out where to find them? Uh, uh, Tall knew where to find oh. them. So. And he told I, I guess Adira. I'm stuck on this on this on this roadmap. Um. So the guy from the first episode gave us nothing. Is that what we're saying? All he gave us was a flag and a hope that they were out there somewhere. Oh, well then. Yeah, he gave us pretty much nothing. He said, I've been sitting here waiting for here for contact with everybody. I don't know where they are, but I'm just waiting. I, I come and sit here every day, get out of my microbead bed and sit here on my microbead desk and play my music and enjoy myself with my Starfleet uniform. And Okay, well, he's crazy. He's crazy. <laughs> he's out of his mind. No, he's not. Yeah, he's nuts. <laughs> so, uh... Dentmer's uh, going rogue here, sort of, in quotation marks. I So I love the flying that she decides to do in this episode and how she takes it manually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's a great pilot. I love that. But I love how she has to trust Ryan. And then apparently Ryan has never encountered any sort of feline species whatsoever, ever, because he totally freaks out because of the cat. She's like, it's just a cat. What is it, some sort of pet? Let me tell you, you know who this guy is, yeah? The guy who plays the Andorian? No. 
So this guy is Noah. I, so names are always like not pulling up in my head when I need them to. That's funny because you always know Detmer's name when I call her cyborg pilot lady. I know, I know. Well, no, I know, I know the characters' names always, but sometimes uh, I don't know the actors' names. Actors. Uh huh. He is the husband of Mary Wiseman. Okay. Who is known for playing Sylvia Tilly in Star Trek Discovery? So the Andorian is married to Tilly. Oh, okay. I like liked how when she he finally comes into the ready room, she's like, "No, you're gonna try that again." And with <laughs> respect, he deserves as a captain. Yeah, yeah, I do like uh, how she uh, she really guns for she really uh, she really takes up for Saru, and she's got his back and making sure that people are gonna speak yeah. to him correctly. That's pretty dope on her part. I mean, that's kind of her job now, but well, and obviously, Grudge likes Ryan, or else she wouldn't have jumped up in his lap. Well, that's true. She would have scratched him. I mean, can she read Andorians? Maybe. There's something to be trustworthy there. At that point, I kind of just started geeking out. I, I was checking out their guns, though, and I noticed, I mean, compared to other projectile or energy weapons, that their guns are actually made out of wood. I was wondering, get, we get a good look on their projectiles. Are, are, are they like tranquilizers or are they like bolts from a crossbow i think they're bolts from a crossbow okay you know because at first i was like are, are these kind of like stun tranquilizers or is that guy dead that she shot at um you know is but is osiris ship named after the planet that we are on is it called the viridian yeah i think it might be hmm the viridian is indeed a heavy class cruiser that serves as the flagship of Osira. Oh, okay. And let me do another little search because I'm now I'm going to look up Viridian. Oops, not Verfidian. <laughs> well, you could look up Verfidian. I don't think I'll find anything if I look up Verfidian. <laughs> oh, this is interesting. So, first of all, Viridian three is in the beta quadrant. Yeah. I wasn't aware of that. Yeah. So that's spelled V-E-R-I-D-I-A-N. And her ship is the Viridian, okay. which is spelled V-I-R-I-D-I-A-N. Oh. So really imaginative with the names we're, we're, we're being here. Well, I mean, there's other words in any language, that, especially Federation Standard, that are very close in spelling, too. Yeah, but this is all invented stuff. You could come up with things that sound a little different, couldn't you? I also live in a building that's called the Meridian. I don't know if that means anything. <laughs> I mean, you live in a building? I mean, when I travel to the twentieth century, twenty-first century, and hang out with a friend of mine. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Who lives there? Of course. Yeah. So, do they? I, I think I, for the first time I noticed in this episode, do they always in pre present in, um extra widescreen have, have they always presented what is it two two by yeah so every time i watch discovery there's a little bit missing on the top and the bottom of my screen okay yeah. so it's intentional to be that way yeah well i i thought i noticed or i did notice they're off, obviously framing it intentionally that way so they did probably film in 16 16 by 9 
but I noticed that there was one scene where there was an impact on the planet. It also shook just a little bit the bars at the top, or at least the bottom. Oh, really? Um, and I'm pretty sure it wasn't a, a, an optical illusion. Yeah. Um, and I think they did that for extra effect. Well, that's pretty amusing. Yeah, that was kind of, I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, just as a as a reminder, Detmer was wearing one of those flak jackets. Yeah. Thus, she has the uniform that has the black stripes and the black Starfleet deltas instead of the uh, instead of the silver or oh, bronze or yeah. copper. So just as a follow up to many 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 episodes ago, yeah, <laughs> where we had that conversation. Yeah. <laughs> that's definitely the uh, the 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 standard away outfit with the Kevlar. It all for a second there, it almost looks like that that Ren was wearing it too, but. You gotta wonder if uh, Sickbay gets a hold of him and his antennas, if they can help him regrow his antenna. So they grow, they regrow by themselves. And Dorian have the and Dorians have the ability to regrow them. Uh, if you notice, he's he's almost fully regrown it by now. It was chopped off like at the beginning of the season, and it was very short. Yeah. But now it's almost fully regrown. Well, his eyebrows kind of stick out to the side too. I'd never noticed that before. Something interesting about the planet on which we are. Uh huh. Is that. In the Kelvin timeline, uh -huh. I know you don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, no idea. But the Kelvin timeline, I, I believe it's the Kelvin timeline where for, where this planet that we are on, Viridian 3, was destroyed. Oh, by what? I don't, let me see, by, it was, just, I don't know. I don't know. So it must have been destroyed before it encountered the Nexus and stuff. Well, no, it was an alternate timeline. Yeah. Here's a question that I've often wondered. What is that question you've often wondered? How do they name their stuff? Do they go to the planet and say, hey, by the way, what's the name of this planet? What do you call it? And they'd be like, well, we call it Viridian. They pre-name it. They pre-name it. Yeah, and they force the name upon you. Okay. Like the Vulcans, are, they don't actually call themselves Vulcans. <laughs> we just call them that because they live on the planet Vulcan, which is not called Vulcan, but it's called, uh, let me think, Never. <laughs> well, uh, or maybe the land of Never or Neverland. Ha -ha. Oh, there but they anyway. live in Never Neverland. <laughs> I see. So that's why they all look like Peter Pan. Sure, they have pointy ears. <laughs> they all refuse to grow up. That's they do refuse to grow up. That's why they live for so long. Because it takes them a long time to figure out how to grow up. I, I I love this little mommy and daddy scene at the end here, where they're talking about a deer. And it turns out that she's awake anyway. Yeah, dad's have to come and grab her. But it also kind of clues her in that he told her somebody else other than him, she was seeing Gray. I've recently uh, come to this certain realization that if you tell one person who was in a relationship, the other person in a relationship is going to know. Yeah, unless you're my pastor. Well, sure, but that's... If I share with a pastor, then I'm not, the pastor's not going to tell the pastor. Why? And a healthcare professional. Yeah. Had it gone the other way, had it gone from Colbert to Stamets, then that would be a problem, you know, because of HIPAA, assuming they have HIPAA. Well, yeah, they, they, they obviously don't have HIPAA in the thirty in the 24th or the 32nd century. Stamets wouldn't be bound by it. Only Colbert would be bound by it. Well, but with all the episodes and they all, you know, they say, Captain Picard, come to sickbay, please. And they go and tell you the entire yeah. life history of the guy on the medical bed. Yeah. And it's like, wait, what happened to HIPAA? What, this guy is right there he doesn't mind you telling him everything <laughs> Picard has to provide the insurance for everyone aboard yeah so being as he's the arbiter of the insurance uh, accounts <laughs> of everyone aboard he's privy he should be privy to all that information that way he can select a proper plan that's going to cover everybody on his ship sure <laughs>
But still, I mean, it seems like, if nothing else, a mild breach of HIPAA. If HIPAA still exists. No, but Stamets can't violate HIPAA. You're right, he can't, but... Wait. What I'm talking about, Dr. Oh, yeah, the doctor. Yeah, the doctor surely can. Yeah. Well, that's so that's so that's covered under the uh, UCMJ. UCMJ. The Uniform Code of Military Justice, where like somebody who is your unit commander can know all the stuff that's going on with you. They they're not supposed to like uh, react with any assignments based around that, and not supposed to do anything, Mm. you know, punitive based on whatever's in your medical file. But they they can be privy to your entire medical file. Huh. Okay, but I I did kind of geek out and wow out with the uh, whole uh, flying squid telepathy empathic thing and connecting to her, his brother better and stuff. Yeah, it's pretty dope. I am super excited for the okay. next episode that will be. Well, let me let me say and just like that, we have covered <laughs> Star Trek Discovery season three episode eight. Yes, the sanctuary. That's the one. Yeah, I'm uh, actually going to watch this episode again because I think that I missed uh, several parts, but I may have fallen asleep on it the first time. But Terra Firma Part 1, oh, okay. I am sized for that one. It's going to be a dope time. Well, and I can see half of the uh, thumbnail on Terra Firma Part 2. Yeah, it's going to be great. Uh... <laughs> so the the journey there is good. Okay. But what's, what's even better is what leads up to it because we have to get there, right? Okay. And it's the getting there that's the most exciting part of it. I think there should just be a way not to see the next thumbnail. There really should. There should be a setting that says, don't show me the trailers. Don't show me the... Well, it's not showing trailers. It's just showing the thumbnail. I mean, yeah. That thing that I meant is what I meant to say. (laughs) So... Or, yeah, you could just tell... There could be a setting, like a no-spoiler setting. So maybe they only show one thumbnail at a time. And it's up to you to flip to the next one, but uh, you should write to Paramount Plus and tell them that. Yeah, they're gonna listen to me, I'm sure. Wait, Paramount Plus? What are you talking about? We're just streaming this from our, from the uh, Discovery or the Enterprise D computer. These are historical events that already happened. Okay, but I'm using my I'm using my temporal interlocutor locutor to uh, to tie into the 21st century um, comnet. And oh, from that okay. com that I'm pulling the application called Paramount Plus and running that. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think that's the time for it's time for the Looney Tunes uh, moment. The Looney Tunes moment? Yeah, you know, that's all, folks. Yep, yep, yep it, it certainly is. It's been real. It's been fun. It's been real <laughs> fun. <laughs> and uh, whose who's sign off is it? Is it my sign off, your sign off? It doesn't matter. Go ahead. You guys be safe out there. Keep your sneezes to yourself. <laughs> Don't sneeze on me. As you've been sniffling the whole episode. The whole time. It seems like I was closing this little studio. The studio needs a, now needs a fan, I think. Some, some sort of ventilation. There's no <laughs> ventilation in my in in, in this uh, part of the of Ten Forward that I've soundproofed for my own uh, my own mini studio inside our larger studio. I'm just gonna talk myself into a circle. So I think that's it. You guys have a lovely week, lovely day, lovely time. And remember, remember, if you can't be good, at least be good at it. Support the continued making of this show through Patreon.com. 
Let's Talk About Treks is a production of Anodyne Relay supported by the Star Trek fan community of listeners like you. We review the copyrighted works of Paramount CBS's Star Trek team, of whom no copyright infringement is intended. You can reach us via email at email at letstalkabouttreks.com. You can leave us a message at area code 202-804-6312. Our producer is David Moody, and our writers, Jack and Earl, are on Twitter as at Trekstalkers, and would greatly appreciate the obligatory like and subscribe from wherever you're listening now. We record on Lenovo computers with Zoom, mix with NCH Mixpad, and master with Kakos Reaper. Our intro, outro, and interstitial musics feature samples from Awakening by Waterboy from Pixabay.